0: hello my name is justin McClue and i'm joined today with will sloan and you're listening to the important cinema club and today it's a sequel to an episode that we've done before because we revisited the drive-in that's right for the
1: second year in a row we've taken a road trip justin and me we've driven down to pennsylvania in the united states specifically to the mahoning valley to visit mecca one of the most glorious places on earth i refer of course to the mahoning drive-in theater
0: they are a drive-in that has been operating for a number of years now like 99.9 percent all of the films that they show are on 35 millimeter and i want to tell you something about this theater like every time i think about it
1: i think how can this exist it doesn't seem possible that this exists not only does it show 35 millimeter but Every weekend they show a different selection of cult or exploitation movies. You know everything from John Waters to Lucio Fulci.
0: And they also do popular stuff, like they'll show Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and you know that gets the crowd in. Because... They did an
1: Ernest marathon once, I oh, think.
0: Could I wish imagine? I had gone to that. Could you
1: imagine Ernest goes to jail on shimmering 35 millimeter film? John R. Cherry the Third's striking compositions, his his bold use
0: of color, hundreds of feet high above us uh, the way that Ernest no one ever thought would be experienced again and like when this drive-in does screenings you need to go to them because they may not happen again. You know, maybe they'll be popular and it becomes a yearly thing. But the one that we attended this weekend, we talked to the person who was in charge of finding the prince. And he said, listen, this is a tough one to put together. And, you know, this is probably the last time it's going to happen. So a year ago, when we went to the Mahoning
1: Drive-In, we saw their annual schlock rama festival. And I remember when Justin showed me the program for that. Like, I like my eyes popped out. of I, I turned into a Tex
0: Avery wolf. <laughs> I, I could have like well, the man from Planet X. A whole day dedicated to the Three Stooges feature film. Yeah, like last
1: year we watched the Three Stooges in orbit and have Rocket will travel on 35 mm film. And if you haven't if you haven't seen Curly Joe Dorita on 35 mm you haven't lived.
0: As the cars just stream out <laughs> off to our right, as people realize, oh wait, this is not the Three Stooges thing I thought it was going to be. A whole evening of chasers. Well, this year
1: we went to. God- Godzilla Palooza.
0: Raids again, which is their second time they've done a four-day Godzilla movie marathon. So we were there for the first
1: three. We will report to you on the first three. And last year... One of the movies they showed was Godzilla 1985.
0: The one that we went yeah, to.
1: Yeah, which was one of the most perfect moving experiences I've ever had. Could you imagine, we're sitting there on our lawn chairs, right in front, Godzilla 1985, Raymond Burr, the Dr. Pepper cans, you know, the, the high-tech animatronic 1985 Godzilla.
0: Loved it. Couldn't get enough of it. You know? The only thing that could make it better is if they showed Godzilla versus Megalon, which I know is Will's favorite Godzilla movie movie well i'll
1: respond to that in a sec we were there from thursday june 29th to saturday july 1st that's right we spent canada day at the mahoning drive didn't even
0: notice until a guy was like hey we were in a parking lot we were like oh what did we do wrong hey you guys happy Canada Day.
1: (laughs) That's right. He saw the Ontario license plate. So shout out to that guy. By the way, we we want to do a few shout outs as well. Mm -hmm. There were some wonderful, important cinema club fans out there, in particular, loyal listener, John, who presented us both with a stack of lovingly curated Godzilla comic books.
0: Yeah, he gave me a stack of all of the dark horse Godzilla comics, which I have to admit, I have never read. And I started pawing through them the second he gave them to me. And I was like, oh my God, Stephen R. did the cover and artwork of the first issue and uh, there's continuity through all of these these are comics that when i was a kid i would see on the back of wizard magazine and go boy there's such a world that i'll never be able to experience yeah he
1: also got me two issues of g fan which is the venerable godzilla fan magazine still in print one of which had a notorious cancel culture
0: (laughs) article Article, yep
1: yeah i think the theme of it was is is cancel culture coming for godzilla and then the second issue included a response to that controversial article Wow.
0: wow The winds
1: of change are striking the Godzilla fan community. i was gonna say if people want to bring us gifts we open arms thanks to everyone else too who said hello and uh, a,
0: we signed a copy of important cinema club journal i think that one. was
1: loyal listener steven who presented that to us mm-hmm. shout out to steven
0: thank you everyone we could not walk back to our car on the last night oh people were beatle-mania. like beatlemania justin, justin will will huh hey yeah okay
1: man you know there are like three places on earth where we're greeted like kings and
0: moturn media <laughs> the drive-in <laughs> yeah. if we want and to that's... hang around maybe the tiff light box one or I will recognize I guess the us. third
1: one is when we do our screening series of the fox we had, <laughs> we had to invent a third one yeah, to be right. recognized so godzilla palooza so it begins thursday june 29th with
0: us driving down let's give let's 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 paint let's, a scene will well we drove eight hours and by that i mean will drove
1: because i do not drive i felt a little bit like Chaplin in modern times when he's been on the assembly line for really long and he well, starts going crazy we
0: got something to push us through and just laughs on our face the entire time Well, Justin, I may have driven for eight
1: hours, but Justin did something even more heroic. He popped down, he plopped down the $5 necessary to get us a Smodcast membership. That's right. So we listened to hours and hours and hours of Kevin Smith podcasts, as well as many of his commentary tracks.
0: But as we were listening, we'd be like, no, 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 that's too far. Because like post Kevin Smith smoking weed we oh. instantly knew the difference too and like when we would start at the beginning <laughs> even in the first few dozen I was shocked at like wow that guy's really funny That's I know fun I, to I couldn't
1: believe it yeah. I couldn't believe it I've spent tw- I've spent 15 years disenchanted by Kevin
0: Smith so, mm, so you know he so had we'll it back. will he get it back <laughs> now yeah. that he's not smoking weed anymore well, only time will tell
1: so Thursday June 29th we arrive at the Mahoning for a special thir- they're all 35 millimeter why am I specifying that a 35 millimeter Presentation of Godzilla vs. Megalon. Now, this is an important Godzilla film. This came late in the original cycle, it came out in 1973. It was many years regarded as the worst godzilla film
0: like can you believe that they made one that's as kitty as this wait would godzilla versus megalon be considered the worst or would it be godzilla's revenge which is the clip show one the
1: two of them were definitely neck and neck in in fan circles but i think in fan circles this one had the edge for a while i don't think it's really this way anymore no i don't think so either but this one was also one of the most seen godzilla movies because not only did it receive a wide theatrical push
0: Oh, we listened to the commentary, so we're on the DVDs of these on the way there, too. It also played
1: on NBC Mm -hmm. in a one-hour time slot hosted by John Belushi in a Godzilla outfit.
0: And the thing about this movie, it's weird that people would say it's your least favorite because it's very short, there's almost no fat on it. Once Godzilla shows up, it's just Godzilla shenanigans for the rest of the movie.
1: Well, the other reason why Godzilla versus Megalon is so widely seen is because for years it was assumed to be in the public domain.
0: Almost all Godzilla films were assumed to be in the public domain, well, weren't they? I, well, no, this one in particular. Okay, I mean, because it, I remember going to my friend's house and he would have all of those VHSs, like the shoddily, like my child could do that painted covers. I mean, I think those were licensed, but, really? but Godzilla
1: versus Megalon was the one that every every shitty VHS company released this. Mm-hmm. So I saw this one a million times as a kid.
0: Godzilla vs. Megalon probably has the most iconic North American Godzilla poster as well, where you have Godzilla and Megalon fighting on top of the World Trade Centers. A scene that I waited was bated breath to happen and <laughs> was shocked that it did not appear in the movie.
1: That's right. The American distribution company was cashing in on the fever surrounding the De-, De Laurentiis remake of King Kong.
0: And when the movie was released as well, it got such a big publicity push that they even had, like, was godzilla for vice president because the democratic national convention was going on yeah, when they, they were advertising the film
1: yeah yeah they, they they capitalized on that so godzilla versus megalon as you mentioned is a fat free godzilla movie it's very no frills there aren't a lot of characters there's hey, a lot of i'm the kid in this movie <laughs> voiced by a great- man doing a voice. There's not a lot of mise-en-scène either. Oh
0: man. So we're going to talk about some of Godzilla's introduction to the later films we watch. This one was just a cut to him be like, "Huh, what's going on?" <laughs> just like head and shoulders, no drama. Here's the plot. There's been nuclear testing,
1: of course, and it has dis- disrupted the undersea kingdom of Cetopia.
0: Uh, oh, what a beautiful place Cetopia is. Just a, you know, pudgy white guy wearing a toga being like, "We must destroy all of humanity."
1: Yeah, that's right. The sea utopians this undersea kingdom which also built easter island that's mm. a that's a bit of lore
0: even though that it doesn't really play into the movie no. you would hope that like the easter island statue would like get up and fight but nah, none of that's happening
1: so they send their mascot megalon up to the surface of the earth to destroy the planet
0: here's the thing about megalon looks cool doesn't look lame. Would you say any of the Godzilla villains look lame, in your opinion? Or do you have too much affinity for any of them? The
1: thing is, I like all of them.
0: Yeah. Because even someone like Gabara, people are like, ugh, I don't like that Gabora guy. Gabara looks silly. But, but I like him.
1: I like him. He's a good
0: guy. I mean, the one that people would probably hold up, who unfortunately, in the films that we saw this weekend, did not make an appearance with my man Manila.
1: Manila is the son of Godzilla, who, you know, he's a beta.
0: Yes, and, and his
1: dad is an alpha. And he talks like like this hey how's it going but i like manila they're mm. no all, all kaijus are beautiful
0: yeah that's right so
1: the protagonist the human protagonist of godzilla versus megalon are an inventor and a man that he lives with <laughs> his good friend his his friend and the son that they have together <laughs> Yes, <laughs> which which is by the way i just want to say that's great
0: mm-hmm. no judgment I, here. no
1: judgment at all i think that's terrific
0: yeah do they say maybe in the japanese version what the relationship they're probably is brothers yeah. I, i'm assuming it is not said in the english version to my knowledge yeah
1: they're just two confirmed bachelors with a son and i think that's great mm-hmm. I, I i think it's wonderful so the inventor has a robot that he's created called
0: jet jaguar
1: jet jaguar and jet jaguar is basically Ultraman, but he's got a big grin
0: now the best thing about jet jaguar or at least it, not the best thing the best thing is him is his backstory which it was a kid won a contest designed a there was a contest design a a, a robot for the new Godzilla movie and so the kid designed the robot And then they took it and completely changed it so it would look nothing like the kid's design. And apparently
1: they showed the kid this on TV and he cried.
0: (laughs) Yes, because he's like, this looks nothing like my design. But
1: here's what I like most about Jet Jaguar. And this will give you some indication of the kind... He looks
0: like Jack Nicholson.
1: Well, that. But this is the kind of movie that we're dealing with here. Halfway through the movie, Jet Jaguar stops obeying the orders of the, the two men. And the men realize, oh, he's programmed himself. Like you know, The situation is so dire, he's programmed himself. And then he becomes 200 feet tall and they're
0: like wait how did he grow 200 feet tall
1: well he must have programmed himself to
0: do that (laughs) it's magic man Uh, let's not think about it and
1: that's fine that's indicative of the sort of movie we have here like the lore you know the internal logic don't don't sweat it can
0: we talk about a little bit that like a lot of cool looking kaijus in these godzilla films are such chumps like they go down like a like a Sack of potatoes,
1: including Jet Jaguar. Well, the one I know you're thinking of is the subsequent film Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, where the whole movie is spent introducing King Caesar, like
0: King Caesar's coming, King Caesar's coming. He gets a song. Yep.
1: And then when he shows up, he just gets the shit kicked out of him
0: so badly. And the same happens with Jet Jaguar. Oh yeah, like the monsters who end up being Megalon and who's that coming from stock footage? It's Gaigan from Godzilla versus Gaigan.
1: Your two favorite guys, Megalon and Godzilla versus guy again so the last act of the movie is a fight between them in one corner jet jaguar and our friend godzilla in the other corner okay
0: so let's just talk about godzilla in this movie because he rules he has always like pumping his fists in the air so
1: much personality this is i mean i'm sure you folks well maybe not but many of you folks have seen the iconic clip of godzilla sliding across the landscape on his tail oh man
0: we were like hooting and hollering when that was coming we're like yes yes so in godzilla
1: fan circles
0: the sort of this is the nadir of godzilla the
1: boom Fan circles in particular, the ones who were like, you know, Godzilla is actually really serious. Godzilla is a, a metaphor for Japan after the A bomb. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who say that this movie disrespects the legacy of Godzilla. And I just think well, the world has room for many Godzillas. Yeah. And this guy, I
0: like. I'm going to take Godzilla and Godzilla versus Mothra and they can go watch it in a room and be happy. You get those two
1: movies. This movie has a 45 second stretch where Jet Jaguar is getting his ass kicked by the two monsters.
0: <laughs> like he's just literally on the ground. And they're like, (laughs)
1: And then Godzilla, it keeps coming back and forth between that and Godzilla.
0: Just pumping his
1: fists. Like Muhammad Ali, you know, coming in, being like... I'm here, I'm here,
0: I'm here, I'm here. <laughs> and it keeps cutting into Jet Jaguar be like, oh, <laughs> and then beating him up.
1: Godzilla does so much cool, like float like a butterfly, sting like a bee shit mm-hmm. in this
0: movie. Later on in the movie when Godzilla, I think he's trapped in a circle of fire, right? That's yeah, right. And he, and saves he saves cowers Jet Jaguar. Yeah. for
1: a little bit. No, Jet Jaguar saves him.
0: And you see Megalon like slapping his ass. <laughs> That's great.
1: Yeah, you can see Godzilla doing some trash talk in this movie. Mm. He's got so a, a lot of personality. His face is... is
0: the- All right, He's never been more ping pong eyed in this, it, like just bulging. The
1: dumbest looking Godzilla we've ever seen. I love it. This movie, it, it's a joyous film. And you say it's my favorite. I mean, it's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. It's it's there's the one l- you have the
0: most nostalgia for watching it as yeah, a child. There's
1: a lot of happiness in this movie. Mm. We're gonna get to another one I have a lot of
0: nostalgia for shortly, but before that, you know, you wait. We we have we, we, we have days to fill. Yeah, and we're also up till 4 a.m. in the morning. This driving goes in late, <laughs> <laughs> so like I think we got four hours of sleep each night where we would silently go to bed and then just go and then wake up and it's like all right, let's get going. Where are we going, Will? We visited the house. If if you folks listened to our
1: recent episode on Robot Monster, which had an interview. With the great preservationist Bob Furmanek of the 3D Film Archive. Well, Bob Furmanek was very nice to allow us into his home. He has. We drove to Clifton, New Jersey, and visited his home,
0: and he was so nice. Like, couldn't have been nicer. Yeah, so full of stories. Did we get him talking about Sammy Petrillo within five minutes? we did (laughs) yeah so
1: so for us and a couple of our friends we went into the basement and saw his home theater
0: and his home theater is two full-sized 35 millimeter projectors and the reason that he has two is because he does 3d like he does all these 3d remasters and you need two of them to be able to watch it in that form so
1: he showed us a 35 millimeter print of the manster
0: which I had never seen. Neither had I. No. And when I heard the title, I went, did I see The Manster? It sounds like every Poverty Row horror film.
1: It also sounds like every, like, if there's ever, like, a Joe Dante or a John Landis movie where there's a parody of a 50s mm. monster movie, that's what it sounds like. The Manster.
0: But The Manster, I realized it as it started to play. I went, oh, I know this because Sam Raimi referenced it directly in Army of Darkness. Because the film, there's something really novel about it in that it's one of the first American productions to shoot in Japan. So like, everyone's speaking English and sync sound, but, like, they use Japanese crews to bring the movie to life
1: and i love this movie i mean it's a it's obviously pretty cheap but it's not careless no the it's... makeup effects are I uh, so the, the story is that there's a mad japanese scientist who's trying to create a half man half beast mm. creature so he drugs this american
0: and for the majority of the film the american has a horrifying second head on his shoulder and he's going around filled with a mad murderous lust
1: yeah very how to get ahead in advertising
0: isn't it weird watching a 35 millimeter To print that close. Because we say it was a small theater, but there was only like five chairs. It was his basement. Yeah, like it wasn't set up like a theater, but like all the stuff was perfect in the back. They had like the projection room. They also had like a place where they could like work on the prints and stuff like that. And then just, yeah, five to maybe eight people could watch the movie. Just
1: an unassuming Clifton, New Jersey house on the exterior. And
0: And at one point they were like, what's the, you know, aspect ratio for this? And we were like, oh, it looks like it's widescreen. They're like, all right, give us a second. And they just changed it into widescreen (laughs) on the fly. Yeah. And the the movie itself, I
1: mean, very entertaining film. The makeup effects are fantastic. And there was just one moment early on where like the main character is going to this cabin on top of a hill sort of near Mount Fuji. And there's this painted backdrop with, you know, a volcano in the background. Mm -hmm. And there's a little puff of smoke coming out of the volcano. And I thought that that's nice. Well, I think
0: that's probably the Japanese like technician touch that if you had done it in America, you wouldn't have that kind of detail, but, you know, considering it's mostly a japanese production they went you know the extra mile Mm. and this is a movie i was surprised at how violent it could get at times or like blood splattering on walls and stuff like that Mm -hmm. for something that is a 50s you know B sci-fi
1: horror movie so very much worth the trip out there we went back to pennsylvania and then for the second night okay three movies first and we're jumping all over the godzilla chronology here this is the final film of the original 1954 to 1975 cycle
0: now we didn't mention something about godzilla versus megalon is the print was very red oh yeah which happens to usually eastman color prints very faded yep and it didn't really matter we were just happy to be seeing the movie play out on screen i like seeing a print that came from the time
1: and that bore the scars of a million viewings
0: i assume that most of the films that we were going to see that weekend were going to look like that because that is just the nature of especially films that were probably handled by, you know, fly by night distributors that other than like some of the, you know, post 90s Godzilla films we are going to see, all of them were going to be faded. I was incorrect because Godzilla vs. Megalon was the only faded print that we watched. All
1: the other ones looked beautiful. So 1975's Terror of Mechagodzilla, we saw it under the title Terror of Godzilla, mm-hmm. a very rarely seen version.
0: And and this is a movie that for the longest time, I remember watching Godzilla films, you know, getting into them and people were like, Terror of Mechagodzilla, that's one of the bad ones. Oh, come on. Now Girl, it's one of the best ones. I love Terror of Mechagodzilla.
1: Now I do recommend people watch this one with the subtitles.
0: Yes, I agree doing that as well.
1: Because there's there are emotional beats in this movie that hit only with the subtitles.
0: And this is a film that I think it had less of, you know a kind of love for it because people for some reason consider like Ishiro Honda was brought back seemingly against his will to make this like last of the Showa era Godzilla movies. So he was disconnected. That is absolutely untrue. Uh, Ishiro Honda comes in, not only directs his heart out, but also gives everything kind of like a darker feel. And in the Showa era, Godzilla has never looked cooler than he does in this movie. Yeah,
1: so if you're a little lost on what's happening in the Godzilla series at this point, you know, we're we're fifteen movies in. Yeah, post-Godzilla versus Megalon. The series begins very dark. It gets increasingly goofy and cartoonish, in particular under the stewardship of director Jun Fakuda, mm. whose Godzilla is a little sillier. Yeah. So this movie, Terror of Mechagodzilla, I feel like combines the best of the Ishiro Honda and Jun Fakuda era.
0: Yeah, Godzilla, the suit still looks a little ratty. He's got those ping pong eyes. He's
1: still, you know, a little pugnacious. He mm-hmm. still fights like a wrestler.
0: But like this fight the first monster movie sequence in this film is like at night and godzilla is introduced like rising up in the background as the camera like zooms in on his face
1: one of the greatest entrances of any character ever and so the main feels mammoth in this movie yeah he
0: does especially like all the angles that i don't have the special effects technician in front of me but like he shoots it all with like buildings to create perspective and depth and you really feel them like going at each other and there's even some scenes where he's fighting titanosaurus and it'll cut to a low angle outside and the slow motion goes away just so you can it'll sell like the punches that he's throwing at the other monster
1: the story of terror of Mecha Godzilla involves aliens who
0: are they from planet x or are they from, no, from that, other that, planets that's,
1: that's monster zero but mm. they're, they're aliens from aliens from the fifth planet i mm. believe is what they're called they come here with their new monster titanosaurus to take over the world
0: you know what i think these aliens they all have a point because they're like humanity's destroying the planet yeah and we need to you know kind of clean house to be able to
1: save it yeah no wonder godzilla who feeds on nuclear radiation wants these guys out mm-hmm. so anyway they also team up with the people who are keeping mecha godzilla alive mm-hmm. who if you don't know is a giant mechanical godzilla
0: yes he was introduced the first time as a faux godzilla where it's like what godzilla's fighting godzilla in a previous film and then he the skin peels away to reveal the mechanized version underneath now there's some
1: human plot with a man and a woman the woman who is actually a cyborg and there's a love story between them you know can a can a cyborg feel humanity and the
0: thing is in the japanese version it works it hits but i feel like they cut some stuff in the english dub and
1: just with the english dub Mm -hmm. it's like the the dialogue isn't as good
0: but the giant monster movies in the english dub still rock so hard i mean i don't know this this weekend just
1: underlined for me again there's there's very few things i love more than just seeing guys in giant rubber monster suits fighting each other.
0: Isn't like Mechagodzilla like so badass in this movie? He's revealed to have like a million different weapons and the big iconic scene is he's firing all the weapons as Godzilla runs at him in slow motion. So beautiful. Explosions are just going off behind Godzilla but he won't stop running. These movies
1: were thought of for years in the West as you know cheesy and bad Mm. because oh it looks like a guy in a rubber suit. Well yes it does look like a guy in a rubber suit but it doesn't look merely like that. The suits are so beautifully made. The cityscapes and rural vistas. The, the miniatures are so beautifully made, so well, detailed. In some of them,
0: <laughs> with Godzilla vs. Megalon, they're going to a field to fight.
1: Honestly, I don't know. I think it looks pretty good.
0: I mean, in Godzilla vs. Megalon, they did pick. There's one sequence where he destroys a dam, where he's like, "Ah!" Right.
1: And I just think there's an uncanny quality. Like it's sort of it, it's it looks unreal, but it actually looks sort of uncanny.
0: Yeah, well, like you watch something like Godzilla running in slow motion at Mechagodzilla firing every weapon on his body. If it was done in CGI, it wouldn't have that weight or that kind of connection that you that have. Tactility with tactility as well, like
1: the rubber. And when I watch it, I very quickly stop thinking of it as a guy in a rubber suit. Mm. I don't necessarily think it's photorealistic, but it becomes something else. It becomes some other space.
0: And because I've watched these movies so many times, I forget which moment is in which movie. <laughs> yeah. There's an amazing scene in Terror of America Godzilla where Godzilla gets buried alive and they're like, ah, we finally oh. defeated him. And then he like, Bursts out of the ground. I think he fires his breath and it like knocks one of the guys back. Pops out of the ground and then dusts himself off. He literally
1: does the Luke Skywalker <laughs> thing of dust, of, of flicking the dust off his shoulder. Oh, so good. So then 1961's Mothra. And
0: this is me and Willa like, stay awake.
1: <laughs> This comes from early or earlier in the giant monster cycle. Ishiro Honda, the guy who originated this whole thing, once again directs. And it's a slower paced film. It's sort of a King Kong light story of a greedy businessman on this tropical island finds these two little little girls, these two like one inch tall ladies and thinks, oh, we can do a King Kong
0: like show out of these two. (laughs) In the same case of King Kong, it's like, what is this show? (laughs) Like, what are they going to do? And well, in this one, they sing. They bring them out. They wear little costumes. Masura. Mm-hmm.
1: Masura. And it turns out they are, they are psychically connected to Mothra. Now, for most of the movie, Mothra is merely an egg. Mm. But then it hatches. And it becomes Mothra,
0: or does it in a larva form, and that's then it right. turns into an egg, and then it becomes Mothra. I love Mothra, but every time Mothra shows up in any other film that's not Godzilla versus Mothra, which I think is amazing, and does a lot of the moves that the original Mothra does, but in a more kind of advanced way, I kind of go, Mothra only has so many moves. Like Godzilla, you know, he can have personality and stuff like that. Mothra can just kind of flap its wings. I like Mothra on a team. Yes,
1: mm. I mean a movie like this. I like the kind of sumptuous early 1960s Japanese production values yeah. and that kind of keeps me going through and we it. saw
0: it on a print that seemingly oh. was done maybe a decade two decades ago because it was newly struck and it had English subtitles and then last but not least we watched the one that has a place in Will's heart well, Godzilla said, well we watched most of it <laughs> yeah okay so Godzilla 2000 remember
1: folks this movie starts playing at like two in the morning two in the morning now I saw this movie theatrically one of the great nights of my life. It was released in Japan in 1999. Released in the United States in 2000. This was the first one to come out after the Matthew Broderick Godzilla, and it's very much a response to that. There was a bit of a almost like a a, a shock of seeing 2000 you know fantasy ecla aesthetics coming after those previous two movies.
0: And the thing about Godzilla 2000 is he's like never looked meaner either. Like I love the design the of him, he's like really big and like it looks like he'll just chomp you up and eat you
1: most of the godzilla movies are connected to some sort of timeline like there are many many different multiverses Mm. to use the parlance of our times but this one is is sort of a drift
0: every millennium series is every millennium movie the only film that's come before it is the original godzilla but
1: this is the only one that doesn't explain that Mm -hmm. this one starts with godzilla's rampaging again and we don't know which other movies are canonical or not he's just rampaging
0: i actually like the opening where there's like a team of people that are like godzilla Predictors and they're chasing after Godzilla. There's a bunch of Jurassic Park shtick where Godzilla breathes right into their windshield. Then they have to back their car up through a tunnel as Godzilla's smashing through it, trying to squish them. Godzilla 2000s is a very back to basics Godzilla movie where
1: it has one of the most ordinary plots of them all. There's a, the team of the Godzilla researchers, the kind of independent Godzilla researchers, the grassroots ones who are like, no, we can't kill Godzilla. We have to study him. And then he's up against, you know, the establishment and the military. Generals. You know, and and that that mean guy Katagiri who just just wants to kill Godzilla for the sheer sadism of it, pretty much.
0: Now I'm going to be 100 honest that I'm like, whoo, yeah, Godzilla 2000. This is so much. Huh? Hey, where'd the monster go? It's already been defeated. You don't
1: like? Oh yeah that that happened. That happened to me too. Well, the other thing that happens in the movie is there's an alien spacecraft that comes. Yes.
0: Yeah, so every time I watch Godzilla 2000, I always forget there is a monster that Godzilla fights in it. It's because he's so boring. <laughs>
1: Well, there's a 30 minute stretch where everyone's basically just like, what's this flying saucer? Mm -hmm. What's the flying saucer? And then at the very end for the big fight scene, it turns into the one and done monster (laughs) Orga. Yeah. So it's... 3.30 3.30 by the time we get to this and the whole final fight we were both fell asleep
0: for. It was so cold at the drive-in oh, and I, I was in shorts and a t-shirt. I, was like, oh, oh. I literally don't even remember falling asleep sitting up in my chair, but I remember waking up right as Orga was decapitated.
1: And and I feel I feel bad about this because I actually love the final fight in mm-hmm. Godzilla 2000. It's got one of the best city scrapes we've ever seen in one of these movies. We're human beings. We're, we're human Will. beings. Like... But I woke up to hear the famous dialogue at the end yeah we did see that why does godzilla keep protecting us maybe it is because godzilla is inside each one of us
0: and you also have the main general going godzilla right before he's he's smushed to death so
1: a very successful night now the next day Saturday, July 1st, we did a lot of flea market shopping. So first of all, we went to Quakertown Farmers Market, which has this incredible video store in it. A beautifully curated store that has so much like out-of-print and weird stuff.
0: I believe it's called Video Bonanza, and I saw images of it online. I went, oh, it'll be like just, you know, whatever people donate, they just throw it on the walls. You walk in like most flea markets and you can take it. No, this is a beautifully curated store with like the most obscure section. You want some Joe Estevez? They have it with a little drawing of him. And basically every actor you can imagine, every director. They had a Larry Cohen section as well. Sure, a
1: Video Nasty section, Mm. you know, a sort of WTF section. And they
0: seem to get new stuff in stock. Like they are a video store. They don't rent videos. And so they had new stuff like Arrow. They had some Vinegar Syndromes, as well as like all the dusty stuff that you get for like pennies on the dollar. They had a deal where it was like, buy two used, one get two free. And it's like, yes, please. That is exactly my kind of store so that actually genuinely surprised me that something existed like that and was very popular when we were visiting just in the middle of the day too we also visited a store called the
1: archive now what is the archive
0: and where is it so the archive is in lansdale pennsylvania and as we drive around i always look of like all right what are some used bookstores that we can you know check out and i always try to make sure that like there's a specific kind of used bookstore that i'm looking for which is quantity and that the people who like just throw it on the floor like we don't know what this is just you know grab whatever you want we
1: want stacks and stacks and stacks of paper and magazines with the barest sorting system yeah
0: if it, they say oh all of our stuff is available online i'm like no thank you that means you're not going to have anything that i want because probably what i want is either too expensive or is not worth your time
1: or we want it we want it in a place where it's not going to be picked over mm. by everyone we want it in some like town in pennsylvania where only the real freaks go there
0: that like it it looks like suburbia. You drive up, and there's just a big warehouse, and they're only open, I nothing, think, three days a week.
1: Nothing fancy about no. the warehouse, and this place is heaven.
0: Oh, well, we went in. We don't want you people going there, by the way, because if we <laughs> ever
1: go back, we don't want it all picked over.
0: Well, we'll spend about an hour, and then you went, I'm done, man. I, I can't. Like, I'm going to buy too much stuff. I was having
1: an almost mental health crisis because you pointed to me the section where they had a ton of copies of Leonard Maltin's old zine Film Fan Monthly.
0: So many of like triples and quadruples. And, and like
1: I was almost hyperventilating because I was like What I
0: I, I I need all of it. I, I, I can't afford all of it but I need all of it. And then Will smartly left while I went through 30 long boxes of comic books just flipping through all of them.
1: Justin found me the official comic book sequel to Plan 9 from Outer Space. And we were
0: like Wait a minute. The official sequel? I bet you. There's his name. Wade Williams.
1: That's right. Came out 30 years ago. You even got some cool lobby cards, too. They had lobby cards. They had tons of stuff. Old Western. Yeah, I got the original. I got sheet music from the hit Jerry Lewis movie, and Dean Martin, the caddy for That's Amore.
0: Wow! And you also got a Mabel Norman lobby card
1: as well. I got a little brochure for the 1918 film Mickey by Max Senna.
0: You know, I don't want anybody listening to this. You know, we've told you this exists. You're not allowed to go. Don't go. And if you do, if you find
1: anything good there, send it to me.
0: I also feel that like new stuff comes in every week because they clearly just buy lots of stuff and then put it out on the floor.
1: But we couldn't shop all day. No, we had to go back to the Mahoning for one more triple feature.
0: Well. We actually, man, people are like, how packed were your days? We did go back to the theater where the blob, the original one was shot to see Jaws on 35 millimeter. But if you want to hear more about that, you're gonna have to listen to this week's Patreon episode. Correct. So we went back for one last triple feature. So we
1: begin with King Kong versus Godzilla. Now this 1963 film, well, came out in 1962 in japan but in 1963 it was released in america in the most butchered version a japanese monster movie universal has ever been released put this in. one
0: out right because that's, that's right because that's the novelty about godzilla versus king kong is that universal i think isn't it on the criterion blu-ray there's only the english dub on it
1: there is a japanese version as a special feature
0: right it's standard definition it doesn't look very good and this english dub this is the first godzilla film that i think i was aware of beyond my excitement and the idea of Godzilla when I was a kid. And I remember my friend giving me a VHS tape, watching it, and me going this is so boring! I don't like this! And, you know, I'm more mature, I've seen a lot more, and I realized, oh, you know, I didn't know what I was talking about watching this version. Driving there, Will was like, hey, aren't you going to be excited of the guys interrupting the film every 20 minutes? And I was like, oh my god, every 20 minutes? It's every 7 minutes! So,
1: for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, in its original Japanese version, King Kong vs godzilla was basically a media satire that also was a giant monster movie all of the media satire is taken out it's it basically follows the same plot as the 1931 king kong but with a japanese twist making fun of some of the japanese trends of the day in like tv advertising All that's gone. What's in its place, Will? An American newscaster. Well, multiple boring Americans. There's one American newscaster in particular who is constantly just saying saying to the camera things that have just happened. There's a American scientist who comes on and holds a children's dinosaur book and keeps calling godzilla a
0: dinosaur he's not he's a he's a radiated lizard well not according to the 90s godzilla movies where they go back in time and meet the dinosaur that would become godzilla okay but in this timeline he's not he's not and i know a lot of people have a lot of nostalgia for this american version i kind of do it's so bad though it's awful it's like stops the movie dead like in the middle of fights i'm like what the wh- what this
1: is a testament to how racist america is is because they had a movie here where king kong fights godzilla and they're like well we need to put at least one white guy in it and not just any white guy the worst white guy of all time like the, the most
0: sitting on what seems like a porn. porno set that it's about to break out
1: the raymond burr scenes they put into Ugh. the first one are citizen kane next to this well they
0: don't even try to like make it interact in any way it doesn't even make any sense what are we watching like a news broadcast guy talking
1: enough of this let's talk about our friends king kong and godzilla
0: okay so all the monster stuff this time i was a little you know soft on it when i watched it when i did my you know godzilla marathon watching it this time like all this monster stuff is so good i love all of it four star movie in my book now oh man well if it was just the monster scenes it'd be a five star movie
1: for me i mean king kong in this movie looks like shit yeah, that's the common consensus. And he
0: does, but I love it so much. I, I I love
1: him too, and I love the way, you know, he beats his
0: chest. And he does double takes by blinking. He's like, whoa. whoa, whoa what?
1: And then the Godzilla sit in this movie is really cool and looks very unlike what we've normally seen It's cat like. It. He's
0: got very thin
1: eyes. That's right. And when the two of them meet and when they fight, really fun. And the only way they made it so that King Kong had a chance of winning is by giving him an (laughs) arbitrary superpower where
0: if he's electrocuted, he gets powers. I love how they're like, whoa, Godzilla's weakness is electricity. King Kong, for some reason, it makes him stronger. We don't know why. Makes sense. He's an ape. When he gets shot by electricity, he's like, So so many shots of like King Kong's big dumb face eating electricity. Like the thing people need to understand about King Kong in these movies, he's an alcoholic. It's introduced right away. He gets drunk on berry wine, which is why his face is the way that it is. That's that's why he looks so bad. And I also,
1: what people need to understand is the reason these movies work so well is because the monsters have personalities. Mm -hmm. The the people who played Godzilla, I, I forget his name right now, but the guy who played Godzilla in the first 13 of these movies who's like legendary you know he brought so much to this role
0: well you don't think that Godzilla as an unstoppable force doesn't have its own power in the classic Gareth Evans movie yeah yeah you you (laughs) got it Gareth Edwards
1: yeah that that that's his name I mean, the first Godzilla from 1954, Godzilla has a very strong personality. Godzilla has a strong personality in this movie. There's a lot of acting that goes into this performance, not to mention a lot of hard work. I mean, good God, these well, guys dying in, these, in that suit. <laughs> these guys in these costumes doing hand to hand combat, good God. Ugh.
0: But yeah, God- Godzilla versus King Kong, you will be shocked for us to say it's good. So,
1: 1956 is Rodan. This came two years after the first Godzilla. This was the first Kaiju movie in color beautiful
0: color. My yeah. God. We were watching, I heard, Quentin Tarantino's personal print of the film.
1: Wow, well, thank you,
0: Mr. Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Yeah, if you ever want to be on the show, just uh, yeah, send come us an on email. Over. Yeah,
1: yeah. Rodan is the most typical giant monster movie ever made.
0: Well, I would say, I- I'm always surprised by the beginning of Rodan, where I'm like, wait, is there's another monster? Because they face like this human-sized monster that they find in a cavern, and they're like, oh, it's attacking the town, and there's all the suspense. But what happens about 45 minutes into Rodan is that they go, hey, you know, these characters you've been following, forget about them. We're just going to see stuff explode and Rodan kind of going through the buildings and making it kind of, you know, disintegrate with his wings or their wings. That's
1: right. Cause there are two Rodan. Rodan is plural.
0: Mm-hmm. And There's some other weird edits in this movie that, like, I don't feel help the movie very much. Because I remember the Japanese being a little sad when Rodan dies, or the two Rodans die at the end. Well, we watched the dubbed version, which adds a lot of narration. Oh, yes. Where they're like, and then I was wondering, what's going on with Rodan right now?
1: Rodan's a big pterodactyl, and... Because he's not fighting another monster, in this, or because they are not fighting other monsters in this movie, a lot of it is just the city destruction, which is very cool and plays to a lot of director Ishiro Honda's strengths. He's very good at, you know, conveying a sense of awe and scale in these monsters. It's a different kind of enjoyment, you know, watching a guy in a rubber suit destroy, you know, little miniature cityscape than watching two monsters go out. Mm. It. But it's beautiful. And, and the end of the film, you know, moved me a little bit. Mm,
0: where the Rodans fly into the volcano, uh. dooming themselves. they'll be back well one of them will be back (laughs) because we never got double rodans after that a
1: rodan will be back and finally our experience at the festival ends with one of the later godzilla films one that's commonly regarded as one of the better of the post-2000 godzilla films that's 2001's godzilla mothra and king Ghidorah: giant monsters all out attack
0: and so the gimmick of this one was godzilla it's the villain of this film.
1: This movie is directed by Shisuke Kaneko, who came to prominence in the 90s when he revived the Gamera series. Now, Gamera was the knockoff imitation of Godzilla, a rather disreputable monster. He was a giant flying turtle, the friend of all children. I love Gamera. You yep, love Gamera. I love Gamera. But he was regarded as trash. Mm-hmm. He was regarded as a, a cheap imitation. And the 90s Gamera movies, all three of them, were regarded as setting a new high watermark of the kaiju genre, kind of putting the Godzilla movies of the time to shame. So Kaneko was brought in to bring his magic to the Godzilla series.
0: I think he actually, like, he really wanted this job. And mm-hmm. I believe he pitched for it before he made his Gamma pictures too. So this is was a passion project for him. Well, let's be honest, is not usually the case for these Godzilla films. Usually they're just company men coming into direct stuff.
1: Yeah, and most of the post-2000 Godzilla movies follow the formula pretty closely. I mean, some of them are very entertaining, but this one, I mean, this one also follows the formula formula, but it does some interesting things within the formula.
0: Yeah, so King Ghidorah is now a good guy in the movie, which is not usually the case. Well,
1: probably the most unusual thing is Godzilla is made, you know, he's not just a nuclear powered beast, but he is the actual physical embodiment of the souls of the Japanese soldiers who died in the Second World War. I I don't even know if it's just a Japanese soldier. I think it's any Japanese person who died in the Second World War. And their souls are angry at how modern Japanese society has forgotten the sins of the
0: past. And so Godzilla in this movie, for the first and only time, is portrayed with milky white eyes. And he's evil. He's he's the most evil uh-huh. he's been since the first movie. He's not just evil. He's just he, he's having fun. He's killing sadistic. People. Yeah. There's a famous scene in this movie where there's a woman earlier on that was making fun of Godzilla, and a building toppled over onto her. And then she's in the hospital, and she hears Godzilla walking by like boom, boom, and she's like, oh my god, Godzilla's here! And then Godzilla boom, boom walks past her, and she goes, Whew! And then it cuts to Godzilla's tail, bam, knocking the hospital over. And in this movie as well, all of the monsters like Mothra and King Ghidorah are portrayed as like creatures of the earth. They're the mystical beings. They're the
1: guardian monsters. By the way, shout out to who I think is the MVP, Baragon. Doesn't appear enough in this movie though. Who all you fans will remember from Frankenstein Conquers the World. I think he he gives a very enthusiastic
0: performance. The director wanted like the deepest of cut characters for this movie. Like he wanted Varan, which was like a TV (laughs) movie. Shiro Honda shot that had a giant monster movie in it. And I think that the mix that they finally did end up on is a good one
1: so a lot of interesting things done with the formula it's darker than the typical godzilla movie it's more violent the monster action stuff i mean a problem with a lot of the 90s godzilla movies is
0: well they had a decree of like no fisticuffs only energy beams it was
1: supposed to look more realistic like what, what an actual like lumbering beast would be like so it would just be like monsters like firing their fire breath at each other but in this movie, Godzilla gets to fight a little more.
0: Mm-hmm. Love it. That's what I want for my Godzilla films. Oh, I don't want to go over the fact that in King Kong versus Godzilla, there's something that you never see in any other Godzilla film. Stop motion. Did you notice that part? where there's like a Mm. really quick stop motion sequence yeah it just made me think about it because one of the guys doing the 90s godzilla film tried to do a stop motion sequence too and they're like no we don't want that which i think is the right way to approach this do not break the reality of these you know people in suits fighting each other
1: so that was our final day at the mahoning drive-in for this year thanks also by the way to dave wright oh yeah the best very kind to us
0: gives us the vip treatment we get to sit like right you know, near the front, love it. Hats off to the people who built that giant Godzilla that I took a photo in front of every day.
1: And listen, we're not being paid to do this. No. We just believe strongly in the Mahoning. Now, would
0: we like to be paid to do this? And for them to pay our way? Would love it. Fly us out every week. We'll go. (laughs) And so if you live anywhere near there and just look at their schedule, they have like hundreds of things they do during the summer. You will find something that interests you. And I really hope that you can make the trip. There's lots of hotels nearby. Or if you're just spending one night, you can also camp out there for like almost nothing on the price of your ticket. So there's no reason for you not to go to the Mahoning drive-in. Now, Justin, do we have any letters? We do. As per usual, you can send us letters at Podcast at gmail.com. And our first letter is from Jacob Highteen. And usually I wouldn't read this, but he's been in the news a lot. And I think some people may be like, well, who is that person? The question is a short one. I was just wondering if you have any opinions on the distinguished film critic... Who do you think he's going to ask Lights, about? Lights, Camera, Jackson. Indeed he does.
1: Okay, here's what I think about Lights, Camera, Jackson. And if you're listening to Leave this- Leave him
0: alone! If you're
1: listening to this many years in the future, maybe you need a little explanation. But what's
0: funny is that we say this, he has been around for 15 years now. He's not going away. Well, he started as a kid
1: critic. That was his gimmick. He was a child. He would go on, he was 10 years old, he would go on Good Morning America, he would be 10 years old and he would talk like Roger Ebert. Mm-hmm. That was that was the trick, like like a fucking dog who does tricks. <laughs> and, and he would- would be like i think inception is two thumbs down and you know he'd Mm -hmm. he'd be ridiculous he was he was absurd he was a clown and over the years he just stayed that way and i mean i don't think he's on good morning america anymore because he's like 25 now Mm -hmm. he's not he's an he's an adult he's a literal adult but he's still still doing his thing He still lights camera jackson and he's and he's grown up to become Martin Short in Clifford, just in in general, mm. affected,
0: yeah, because oh, I, mean, I think mean you can't disassociate him with his kid self. yeah. and also his opinion are those of a sixty five year old man.
1: Well, I, this is what's amazing about him is like, you know, he loves Regis. He loves daytime TV.
0: Like he just wants to be a daytime TV host. That's all he wants to do. If,
1: if something happens in Wheel of Fortune, he's there. He's figured it out.
0: Why does he still become that like element of mockery? Like he'll, he'll well, do something and then like everyone will get behind and be like.
1: <laughs> well, it's because he presents himself as this extremely bland toast guy. Yeah. But and- he has no power. No, he doesn't. Yeah, that's the thing, he, right? Well, so the reason he came up just recently is because he did a little tweet review of the new movie Joyride, where he didn't like it. And among other things, he said it targets white people. Yeah,
0: he's doing his right wing turn now. And
1: it's anti-male or something like that. And I
0: mean, his tweets that have gone viral are like, he took a photo with Chiwetel Ejiofor and he was like, don't be a slave to your diet. Or because he there, was doing 12 years. Or of there was stuff.
1: that one with Amy Schumer yeah. where, you know, where he said something a little
0: bit sexy yeah the thing about him is that like he doesn't have any power though no so he doesn't that's the that's the weird thing about making fun of him
1: yeah and and i think my take on lights camera jackson is i mean most of us when we're 10 years old and we look back at our 10 year old self that's almost a completely different person like we've grown by leaps and bounds since then but what if your greatest success came when you were 10. I think you'd have a more complicated relationship with that. And And you
0: were in the public too during yeah, that. You that were on Good
1: Morning America. And like the fact that he still calls himself Lights Camera Jackson, still acts the same way and still has the same opinions. It's almost as if like part of him is like trapped in amber at 10. He can't move past it. And then when he says something like that Joyride targets white people, that adds a like weird yeah. like, he's a he's a, a weird kid he's a he's not a kid he's a man he's a man
0: now <laughs> yeah you can't escape that idea of him though. i think
1: he's a bit of a cautionary tale about like don't don't
0: make your kids don't, do, don't this, do this to
1: your kids yeah yeah
0: because they will not be able to escape i mean if i were him and i am not i would be like i'm just shutting all this shit down like i don't want this no but this is all he knows. He can't
1: let it go. Well, and you, you see him do his reviews and stuff and he talks in like TV speak Ugh. like he's been.
0: I can't say I've ever watched any of his. Oh, reviews I, have. Beyond. I know you have.
1: I think also people, the the scorn is disproportionate on him because you're right. He has no power. And like, I don't know. Yeah. You're the bullies now. Yeah. Is he lame? yes yeah uh, that is obviously, unavoidable obviously yeah.
0: but it's like you know the lame kid you don't have to bully him yeah. like leave him alone yeah i, mean, I mean, my blanket i wouldn't this. even
1: be talking about him this way if he didn't do that
0: tweet this week where yeah. you know because like well, that's what probably prompted this email
1: right because it's like okay well if you're gonna tweet something like that then people are gonna make fun of you mm. like
0: sorry well there's something like that too of you want those kind of normal people on the internet that you can follow their lies and build a mythology and try to also disconnect that these are people that are trying to live a life so not to equate the two but
1: let's jackson reminds me a little bit of subway jared in the sense that there are these two guys who.
0: Jackson. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> hang on wait, wait, wait. hey
1: hang on hang on not not that they've they're in any way comparable of their mm-hmm. sins but it's just like they're two guys who were generated in a lab to be the most normal milk toast like almost like almost a parody of a lame guy but they were supposed to only have a shelf life of a year and then and then there's a darkness underneath yeah. well, okay. and then that makes it funny <laughs> i don't know. If I- <laughs> that's too much too much Yeah. all right i, I apologize lights camera jackson Subway jared's an evil man yeah he is so as lights camera jackson's just kind of lame
0: <laughs> so as per usual please don't unfollow me on twitter lights does he follow you yeah yeah he does <laughs> so as per uh, you know what i hope he listens to the important cinema club and that he learns new stuff maybe different perspectives. i'll
1: take hey listen i will i would ha- lights if you're listening i'll take you under my wing i'll tell you i'll tell you what the good <laughs> stuff is mm-hmm. i used to be you okay yeah. i used
0: to be lights I camera have some, jackson I have some lights camera will reviews from your youth in zine still sitting on my shelf oh yes and oh yes those opinions you would not stick behind them nope but what if they you know they call you up and they're like well we want you to be the next regis <laughs> I, I i am the next regis i have two podcasts so as per usual you can send us emails at point center club podcast at gmail.com next week we already announced it we're doing monsters that's right we're doing failed universal monsters we're doing van Helsing.
1: we're doing the Tom Cruise, mommy, and we're doing Dracula Untold.
0: And have I watched some of them already and gone, ugh? Just like I said on the previous episode, why did I do this to us? I did indeed. So until next week, my name's Dustin the Clue. I'm Will Slone. Thanks for listening. The Blu-ray revolution has allowed us to see films in ways they were never meant to be seen, Will. For example, we have finally been able to watch, in the best-looking version until they do a 4K remaster, the classic Sammy Petrillo film, Shangri-La.
1: That's right. So Shangri-La is a movie from 1961. It is one of many nudist camp movies to come out because the these explain th- it to people that may not know. So before hardcore pornography was legal, long before it was anywhere close to being legal, the Supreme Court in the United States made a ruling that nudism per se was not obscene because it was a lifestyle people practiced it, and you could technically depict nudism. Well, that opened the floodgates.
0: They're like, well, we're gonna see hundreds of nudist films. Dozens, perhaps even hundreds. And you need the most unattractive man in the world, I'm just kidding, Sammy Petrillo to be your guide through one. Well, if you've
1: seen any of the nudist camp movies that were made in the 50s and early 60s, they follow a very similar formula. You've got these sort of documentary-like shots of just, (laughs) you know. This is what the nudist lifestyle is like. And you couldn't show pubic hair, so you'd see breasts and butts, and you know the the bush would be strategically hidden
0: well i caught some in this
1: movie because this is some? a low rent uh, well production. you were you were looking close i was and there would always be a sort of geeky beta male who'd be the like, Who yeah who'd, who'd be like whoa how did i end up here
0: and so we were able to watch it as part of kino classics and something weird forbidden fruit the golden age of the exploitation picture which we've talked about this is volume 14
1: that's right the main film on this blu-ray which you can and should buy is called nudist life shangri-la which runs just over an hour is a special feature and if you don't know Sammy Petrillo and you really should if you are listening to us you really should know who Sammy <laughs> Petrillo is there will be a test Sammy Petrillo was hired by Jerry Lewis at the height of the Dean Martin Jerry Lewis phenomenon to play his son on an episode of the Colgate Comedy Hour he was like 16 years old and he was a dead ringer for Jerry could do an impersonation of Jerry and Jerry put him under contract probably hit him away so he couldn't get any work and Sammy Petrillo said nuts to this I'm gonna go strike out on my own he teamed up with an Italian singer named Duke Mitchell and the two of them appeared in a Martin and Lewis ripoff film called "Bella Lugosi Meets a Brooklyn Gorilla and Jerry threatened History was made Jerry threatened to sue the movie came out Mitchell and Petrillo didn't really last Mm -mm. but they each had their own careers and Sammy Petrillo became a mainstay on at the bottom of the bill of every burlesque house in America.
0: Go on Facebook, follow the Sammy Petrillo Facebook group and you will get a new post of newspaper advertisements every single day. I mean, that's Shangri-La is what that is. (laughs) Run by the Drew Friedman who loves uh, Sammy Petrillo. The great Drew Friedman. So this movie Wait, we actually got a Sammy Petrillo story that I don't know if you had heard this when we were right before the Manster, Robert Furmanek was like oh yeah there was a show where jerry lewis was on and they showed a bunch of clips and one of them was sammy petrillo they thought it was jerry. jerry and when they came back the host was like that was not you jerry lewis someone seemed to be have made a mistake and, and jerry J- was like oh yeah it's fine but then i think bob was like yeah behind the scenes it's probably like oh what the hell
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the plot of shangri-la is that sammy the plot p- sammy plays a night watchman and he, at, at, the, at the zoo mm-hmm. there's a guy in a gorilla suit and he's recounting his his life
0: well so this film the credits i was like oh i was like the vince mcmahon meme because it was like produced by dick randall i'm like yeah dick randall a famous trash auteur who would go on to make a bunch of i get spanish exploitation film he was well, all over the place well dick randall's big production was he produced pieces yeah pieces with its famous tagline
1: you "You don't don't... need to go to texas for a chainsaw massacre he also produced some of the Bruce Sploitation movies with bruce la and in this one sammy petrillo in doing his like full jerry thing i gotta
0: say sammy he's kind of aged out of looking like jerry at this point he's more on the steve buscemi spectrum he's recounting his journey
1: across the united states following these two nudist women just stalking them just stalking them yes but don't take this plot too literally it's just Sammy, almost called him Jerry. Sammy goes from nudist <laughs> oh, camp to time. nudist camp to nudist camp, and you see him like hiding behind a bush or hiding behind a tree going, I don't know. They go to Washington, they visit a wax
0: museum, well, Sammy that, does okay, some stick.
1: Sa- all the nudist shit in this movie, I couldn't care less about. <clears throat> Boring. But when Sammy is at the wax museum and he's just riffing with the re- <laughs> wax dummies, oh my god, I was in heaven. I loved it. <laughs> I mean, Sammy, one of the least funny men to ever live. I mean, I cannot believe this man Made a career as a comedian every joke in this movie is just like and that's the naked truth or there's a scene where he like flies hey a-
0: i was born naked mm? and it's like oh i heard this joke four times in this movie there's
1: a scene where he flies a plane and he says i must have just been plain crazy
0: that's, and then there's a long pause for the laughs.
1: Well, that's because Sammy, you know, toured. He he performed this, so he knew where the laughs were.
0: And there's a long sequence where we just watch a water show, and Sammy is very awkwardly inserted into it, where you see like, you know, whatever stock footage they have of the water show, and then it'll cut to Sammy on a boat being like, "Whoa!" as if he's water skiing. I mean, you like this movie. I love admit, that, admit, those admit you like this movie. Yep. Sammy, admit. I, listen, I saw you for,
1: for long stretches of this movie on the couch, just like in a very bad mood eyes glazed watching the screen but i think i i think your thumbs up
0: i was surprised that it took so long that they saved the goods because in the credits they also said george weiss is in this movie that's right george weiss who
1: mike Starr played in the 1994 film ed wood is one of the judges in the nudist contest as well as the legendary photojournalist Ouija is in this movie
0: who did the trick photography of the film he's
1: credited and we briefly see him during the wax museum
0: scene i'm not a wax dummy i mean this is a film for me and you like i love it sammy patrillo guy in a gorilla suit and let's be clear this ain't crash corrigan in the gorilla suit this is some low tier gorilla suit performance and all the all the nudity
1: yeah i'm sure you were all revved up you were <laughs> yep I mean, it gave me there was no lubricant left in Toronto. A
0: good refraction period to that. You know, (laughs) you see that nudity and then Sammy stick for like 40 minutes and then more nudity. Yeah. You know, we were laughing. Listen, Shangri-La.
1: It has 18 logs on Letterboxd right now.
0: Only 18. Let's get it up there.
1: By the end of the week, I want to see 30 logs.
0: If you love us. Yeah. People are dumping a log. It's called (laughs) (laughs) Shangri-La. If you love us.
1: Go out and watch Shangri-La. I'm the next Gene Shalit, by, by any means necessary. Let's let's
0: get it to thirty. Okay, this is my cause. Okay, let's get you. Shangri-La to thirty. <laughs> Shangri-La to thirty. Now, are there any other Sammy Patrillo left? Though it's been basically covered. Shangri-La. Keels are for peepin' was put out as p- part of the Doris Wishman set.
1: Well, supposedly Sammy Patrillo had a movie that he shot that was never fully edited. Oh whoa!
0: Called The Other Side of Sammy.
1: Yeah, it's called Gas is Best, and it's about a flatulent superhero. <laughs> so, listen, let's raid the archives. We gotta get this movie. That is the day the clown cried for the real connoisseur. <laughs>